The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wesley Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. I do want to let you know I do have an update uh, concerning our lease that we'll talk about after service. But what I'd like to try to accomplish today is getting through John chapter 6. Think we can do that? Kids can go back. Maybe. Yeah, surely we will. Um, Let me see here. So John chapter 6. For me, as I've been studying through John, chapter 6 is really a, a pivotal chapter in my mind. Because it's where, in Jesus' public ministry, where he really begins to narrow down what the gospel is, his intentions for coming. It is really a pivotal uh, chapter, a time in the ministry of Jesus where he just really begins to separate. He really begins to show distinctions, and it impacts everyone who hears his voice all the way down to his disciples. So... I'd made mention that um, last week we saw that Jesus just continued to give clarity, uh, not just to the crowd, but to all, about who he was and why he came. And his emphasis was, look, I have come, I've been sent from the Father to bring everlasting life. And last week we looked at the statement, I'm the bread of life, and in that he explained that The bread was his body, his life that would be given for the world, for the life of the world, which was foreign to the Jews because they just thought Messiah was just for them. And then he presses it further by saying, it's just not that I'm the bread of life, but unless you eat, and my, my, I'm the bread of life, and my, the bread is my body, and if you don't eat, if you don't partake of my body, of my blood, then you have no life in you, which caused a problem. But the reality that we know looking back is that when he made this comment about if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, we understand that it meant to have this, it was the idea of having faith in Christ. This is interesting because he says where if you do not eat and you do not drink, that is in uh, an aorist tense, which means a once and for all action. So he says, unless you have this moment in your life, this faith in the Son of God, you have no life in you. So he says, I'm the true bread that is sent down from heaven. In other words, I'm, we talked about last week, I'm man's source for life, for sustenance, for life, but not life here, but eternal life. And as he goes through this, he just really brings it all down to, and you need to understand that eternal life is found only in me. We talk to other people and they don't like that, but look, Jesus is the one that brought the whole thing. He said, this is how you're going to find eternal life. And so we see the response of the crowds, and of course it's not positive. Uh, they don't like the idea of, you know, it's, it's almost like, it's not, it's not necessarily that they don't understand what, I'm saying, what he's saying, but they're unwilling to accept 
what he's saying. And we're going to see that as we keep rolling down through here. Now, Jesus, another thing that takes place here is Jesus really makes this a personal address to the people, to the individuals, because he says, he who eats and drinks, he who believes, he who abides, that one has eternal life. So he's not talking collectively to the Jews. They're not considered. Jesus is stating that salvation is personal and individual. And so, you know, which was not in the Jewish mindset. They believed that collectively as a nation, God would rescue them and deliver them and take them into this age to come. And Jesus is saying something very different to them. And we know that what he's talking about, this deliverance that is going to take place is a deliverance from sin. So again, Jesus just keeps clarifying why he came and the implications of it. So last week I made comment about the seven I am's that are found in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life is the first of them. And so I think I made mention that um, each one of them are declarations. Jesus gave declarations about himself to his true identity, his divine identity, and the purpose of his coming. And the purpose of his coming was for the world. So when he says, I'm the bread of life, he says, I am the one who gives and sustains life. I'm the light of the world. I am the one who brings light and dispels darkness. I'm the door of the sheep. I am the one the only door to the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am the one. I am the one who cares for and looks out after and protects the sheep. I am the resurrection and life. He's saying, I am the one who brings the dead to life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. In other words, I am, I am the one in whom God has planted from the very beginning. And so in each one of them, Jesus is just claiming this, ex he's he exclusive, right? I alone. And so through the Gospel of John, we just see this narrowing. And, I, and you know, I've, I never really picked up on this before, but... And especially in John, and again, let me just reiterate, so John's 40, 50 years after all this has happened, all the books are written, all the other apostles are dead, he's looking back, and he's seen through these years of all this happened, all this is written, and John's going, he just brings, in my mind, God uses him to bring a focus and a clarity and just cutting through the mud of a lot of stuff that had probably taken place. And so here in the sixth chapter is this real pivotal chapter where Jesus is just, he, he just, he's separating a lot of things and he's bringing truth to light. So he's going, I, I'm, the gospel, or in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, what did Jesus say there? He says, Enter in through the narrow gate. So he's already been saying, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. It's not this, it's that. It's not this, it's that. And he says to the crowd, 
He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate. And I've taught this before. The Greek text really says it this way. And made narrow is the way that leads away to life. So this way is made narrow. So Jesus was aware in this large crowd that had followed him that there were, it was like a mixed group. There were those that were, many that were his quote-unquote disciples. And here he knew that in this mixed multitude something needed to take place. Truth needed to go forward so that there would just be this sifting. Jesus came to give the truth. He came to represent the truth that God had intended. So as we move through the Gospel of John, he just it gets sharper and sharper and sharper. And why does it get sharper and sharper and sharper? Because he doesn't want people to be misled about who he is and why he came. So on the front side here, it, to me, the way John put it, however these things lined out in a time frame through all the other Gospels, John just kind of stands here, looks back, and he goes, It's almost like the Holy Spirit revealed it to him and went, aha, and just gave clarity to, all right, beginning of the ministry, at this point in his ministry, it really needed to be clear. He didn't want anybody following him for false pretenses. He wanted them to know exactly what it meant and what it looked like to be his disciple, to be a follower of him, to find eternal life, to be able to enter the kingdom of God. So it gets sharper and sharper. And we do this with people in ministry. You know, we're ministering to people and we're sharing the gospel and we're telling them all kinds of good things. But at some point, you got to go, look, here's truth. Now, you can believe all what you want, but I'm just telling you. And I I run into this a lot where I just go, that's interesting. Show me where that is in the Bible. Well, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's not there. And. I just want you to know, from my standpoint, the Bible is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All of it. So this is God's Word. This is what God's Word said. So right here, this, this is truth. So whatever's not in here, you just might as well cast aside. So let's try to figure out what's in here. What is God saying to humanity? See, I believe that He created the heavens and earth and six days rested on the seventh. See, I believe... And you just you, you need to have people to have some clarity. And last week we talked about it, the idea of him, what is the only thing that is going to confront a lie is truth. And what is the one thing that Jesus is trying to do? He's trying to say, here is the way, walk ye in it. And so this just narrows and it gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And so as it does, they're just offended by it. Because he just really plainly declares, look, I'm sent for the Father, and this is why I come, and this is who I am, and this is the implications of what that means. So, verse 57 then. He just kind of jumps back into his mission, and he said this, just as the... Now, it's interesting, I don't know why. He didn't say just as the Father sent me, but here he changed it. Just as the living Father has sent me. I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. We've heard this before. 
So basically he's saying the life of the Son is bound up with the life of the Father. The Son has no life apart from the Father. And also, those who, he said, eat and drink are the ones who abide. They're the ones who believe. They're the ones who will find this life in them. This God life. Because the one who does not, does not have life. Now he's really pushing this hard. In, in my mind... The way that I see this being played out, it is he's taking a truth and he's taking this truth and he's just what they believe, but he's just narrowing the truth down. And as he's narrowing the truth down, it's hitting the heart of man. And it's bringing him to a place of choice. And it's interesting when it brings it to a place of choice, we see that they go, yeah, I'm out on that. I don't know how true is that today. Yeah, I'm out on that. So, another thing that I see in this is he's, the crowd is probably mostly Jewish. He's saying to them also, look, entering into eternal life requires more than being a Jew. It requires faith in me, the one whom he has sent. And so, verse 58 he says, this is the bread that came down of, out of heaven. Your fathers, they ate man and died. And we talked about last week how man was a type of what was to come, God's true source of giving and sustaining eternal life. And he says, but whoever feeds or partakes, and whoever feeds and partakes of this bread, they will live forever. So there's a difference. The manna was a type. I am the bread, come down from heaven, the bread is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. And it said on hearing this, many of his, not crowd, it says many of his disciples said, this is just a hard saying. Who can accept it? Now, over the course of studying through this, I come across it a, a bunch of different times, but a lot of the commentators out there they, didn't, they don't believe that it was hard for them to understand what Jesus is saying. More along the lines, it was really hard for them to accept what Jesus was saying. When you think about it, Jesus was teaching things that they did not expect to hear. They believed that Messiah would come and deliver them and bring in this golden age. And as we learned when we walked through in times and prophecies, we learn this mountain peaks of prophecy where the prophets saw uh, mountain peak to mountain peak. They saw the, God gave them the promise and they saw into the age that was to come, which was this golden age for, that the Jews believed and saw that was promised, but they didn't see the valley. They didn't see the, the coming, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They didn't see the church age. They just saw... The second coming, they never saw his first coming. And so they, there were just so many things that just were not in their purview, that they were missing. This, there was this quote that I came across I thought was good. It says, time and again, it is not the intellectual difficulty of accepting Christ which keeps men from becoming Christians, but it is, is Jesus' moral challenge to them. See, there's always going to be light in darkness. Always going to be light exposing darkness. And there's always going to be a mystery 
when it comes to things of God. There's just stuff we're not going to know. And if you really want to know everything, you're going to have to die first. Because then you'll know as he's known, right? So if you're that bent on knowing everything, you're just going to have to get there. Going to have to get dead. And, and, and really, to this day, often a man's refusal uh, to come to Jesus isn't really because they can't understand what you're saying to them. It's because the gospel challenges their life. And when Jesus challenges their life, it's light on darkness, and they feel the weight of what he's saying in the condemning of the life they live. And in, in that way it is. Uh, the gospel is two-sided. Here's the good news, here's the not good news about the good news. Right? So, but Jesus is, as we learned in John 3, 16, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to give it life. But because when life sh light shines on darkness, you see the moral decay of your life. So, again, this is really a hard saying, but it wasn't just a hard saying for the crowd. It wasn't just a hard saying for those who followed him, disciples that followed him, but it was really a hard saying for the twelve. And because we understand and see they didn't have it all put together. And you got to give them some space, right? We read through here, we know a whole lot more than they did just through the reading of it and through the revelation of the Spirit of God in our life, right? Back then, this is before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is before the Spirit of God came, right? So they're, they're, don't, they're not playing the full deck. They don't have all... <laughs> There's a lot, a lot, not a lot of cards in their hands, so to speak. But in their defense, the 12, well, they didn't quit. I love that. So this is a defining moment also in the life of the 12. And so, verse 61, it says, even the disciples grumbled at this, so Jesus just turned to the 12, and he asked the question, he goes, does this offend you? What I'm saying, does this offend you? Is this a stumbling block to you? Is this something that is going to cause you also to turn away? Any thoughts up to this point? Oh, Darcy, ladies first. We'll, we'll do that. Don't just, just don't say what he was going to say. I think you're on. I love that. Um, you highlighted verse 57. The living Father sent me. I live because of the Father. Whoever sees on me will also live because of me. Um, and um, it reminded me of John 3. In verse 20, it says, those who hated the, hated the light, um, they hate the light because their deeds were exposed. And that's exactly what you were saying. Um, but, um, yeah, that was my thought. Okay, Doug? Um, I just like the fact that verse 60 says, except versus, you, you can understand it, you can even believe it, but still not accept it. Mm, that's good, I like that. Right, it was, because a lot of people would have said, yeah, I get this. This is spot on. 
but I'm not changing. Well, how many in right. here who say, hey, uh, I, I believe, I believe, I believe, and then you get to a point and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really didn't. I, I love the... I, this is this is really can speak to us in our lives because we we see a progression. So Jesus is there's this progression of the revealing of Jesus to them, and there is this progression of their coming to a place of what that means to them, the implication it is for their life, and then at that point they have to make certain choices for their life. Anybody else? Okay, verse 63, or 62. Uh, so basically he says, is this also going to offend you or are you going to turn away from this? And it's like he didn't even wait for an answer. He just says, well then, what if you see the Son of Man ascended to where he was before? In my mind it says, so if that happens, would that offend you also? In other words, the way that I grab a hold of this is, Will you also be offended when the Son of Man's ascend to where he was before? Listen, with the idea of not establishing now the literal kingdom on earth. Because remember how they were confused at that? They figured when this whole thing happens, he was raised from the dead. It's full on. And then what did he do? He ascends. What happened after he ascended? They went about fishing, right? And then the Spirit of God comes that changes everything. So, verse 63 then, we see him saying, well, you know, it's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I've spoken unto you, they are spirit and life. And again, what Jesus is driving at, I think Doug mentioned it a few weeks back, you know, with Nicodemus about the spiritual aspect of the kingdom of God and the woman of the well, the spiritual aspect concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to bring about his coming and the nature of his coming. The spiritual nature of his coming, the, this idea of eternal life. So the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God and if we only see this life through our natural eyes, we are going to miss the things of the kingdom of God. We're going to miss the things of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is, so, you know, there's a whole thing in Galatians 3 talking about uh, the law and the Spirit, and you, we see the contrast of it all the way through. The law was to bring it to a certain place so that you could get to the place where when Christ come, you could understand, you could receive, and you could enter. You could enter into the King of God. You could enter into this new life. You could receive this life that He offered. And so for us, the same way, man, it's easy to get caught up just in the natural. I mean... Even the whole situation with our lease, you could just say, oh man, just look at all the natural circumstances. Uh, man, if we just lived our life through just the natural things that we can know, believe, and, and grab a hold of and understand, taste, touch, feel, smell, we're in trouble. And so, like he told Nicodemus, you know, it's about, it's about being born again. The woman at the well, if you knew who it was, it was offering this living water to you. And so again, he's pushing. There's something else that he's getting at. I like the amplified version of that uh, verse. It says, 
it is the spirit who gives it is the spirit who gives life he is the life giver the flesh conveys no benefit whatsoever there is no profit in it the words or the truth that i have been speaking to you are spirit they or they are of the spirit and they give or they bring life. And again, to me, this really strikes at the Jewish religion because he's not concerned about the men, the good that men can produce by the works of the law. He has been and is teaching that there is the necessity. There is the necessity of the work of the Spirit in the heart of man. And his coming does that. What did he do? He destroyed the works of the devil. So, mo again, most were following him. Well, the, for the physical, natural things, but in a big picture, most were following him because really what they were looking for and wanting to do is establish the kingdom of God now. Uh, that he would overthrow the Roman government, that he would bring to pass the kingdom of plenty, whereby everyone would eat and drink in their full, and every man would eat from his own vine and fig tree so that they would not be afraid and they would live in peace. Because that's what the prophets saw. That's what the prophets wrote about, that they perceived. Prophets wrote about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection in the church age. But from there, what they saw, that mountain peak to mountain peak. So they expected him fully to establish this kingdom, this material prosperity now. And what I love is what he says to them. He goes, yeah, and that's not, that's not the important thing. That's secondary. What's really important is the spiritual kingdom. What's really important is eternal life. And that's why I came. And this is what I need you to see. And then he goes on to say, yet there are some of you, verse 64, you do not believe. Verse 65, then he goes on to say, uh, this is why I told you. I, I love this. Because not just for us, but for his disciples, and not just for his disciples. You can go back however far you want in how God revealed something to his spokesman to his people, so that when they got there, they could have a clarity about that. And so he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. See, he explains to them now that he told them this so that they wouldn't be troubled when the crowds didn't believe who he was. See, because really, that, the only way that's happening is through the enablement of God. Right? No man can come to the Father unless he draws him. So there is this divine enablement that needs to take place. And without, if you're ever around anybody and you want to share Christ with them, you need to pray. Even while you're talking, have another conversation with the Father because you know that the only way they're going to be able to hear what you say is not the words that be coming out of your mouth. It's going to be because the Spirit of God is doing this in their life. He's just going, he's opening up their life. That's the only way they're going to come. People don't wake up and decide to follow Jesus. They were nudged all along. They were drawn all along. I love that. See, that really takes it back to, you know, uh, we're, we're, ministry of, we're ministers of reconciliation, but who's the reconciler? 
I'm not the reconciler. How many times you had a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you said something that seemed way out in left field? You go, where'd that come from? That was the stupidest thing to say. And then later you learn it was a thing they needed to hear. Why? Because the Spirit of God knew what was in them and He was just opening up their life so that He could speak into their life. I love that about the things of God. It's not... It's not our thing is just to be light. Uh, you know, it's, it's for us to be a voice. I love that. Any thoughts about that? Lots of thoughts about that. Uh, Darcy? I see the Trinity at work. So we're coming to Jesus because the Father is enabling us and the Spirit is giving us life. Well, that's good. Someone else? I can't help but think like I see... Um, a big correlation to today's world. Not, nothing new under the sun, but like you look at some uh, mega churches that have thousands of people coming to them and they're believing uh, a gospel that's built around Jesus as Santa Claus. Like just bring your needs to him and he's going to meet all your needs in it. He's going he's to provide everything for you and, and, and everything is prosperity and this and that. And it, it just feels like people are going to those churches and they're listening what's tingling their ears because that's their physical needs that are they're t- they're telling them your physical needs are going to be met and yet there's other places where it's like the 12 where it's like we're here because you are our substance you are the only thing that gets us through okay so. somebody else oh we got this little trio going on here huh <laughs> Oh, uh, Keith. Thanks, Andrew. Aiden. Oh, my goodness. I call Allie Amy. Um, I was trying to find, I think it's in First John, but it's something to see where it says many of his disciples no longer followed him. And it kind of goes back, I think it says in First John that a lot of people left, and the reason why they left is because they were not truly part of, they were not truly believers. And so, I think there's a lot of people kind of go like what you said is that people were following for different reasons, but because the Father hadn't prompted them and they haven't chosen to follow Christ and accepted them, when they got down to the nitty-gritty, the hard part of it, they dropped off. And I think you can even see it today in churches sometimes. You see people that come for a while for the click or for the friendship or whatever, but when it comes to the point of truly being a disciple of Christ, you start seeing people drop off. And I think closer do we get to the end times, you're going to see that even more as the Spirit of God is poured out among his church, the true believers are going to really step up, and you're going to see many people coming to Christ, but I think you'll also see some people dropping off even more. So just something to think about. Someone else? Nelda? I think it's a wonderful reminder, as you shared, that as we talk to people about the Lord, to have a conversation with, with the Father as as we're speaking to them, because it's so easy to get so frustrated <laughs> and say, what's wrong, you guys? And that's not the way to go. It's just to say, Lord, give me loving words, and but open up there. Reveal yourself to the person. Think about that verse. It is the Father's pleasure that you bear much fruit. Yeah. I mean, he's excited when you open up a conversation. It's almost, put me in, put me in. (laughs) 
verse 66, he said, so from that time on, it says, many of the disciples turned back and followed him no longer. And I got to thinking, what was Jesus' grand offense? You know, that everybody left. Because if they really were, it wasn't that they didn't understand what he's saying, but they understood what he's saying. And all that he said, I, I wonder, was it that his grand offense that he was not going to do what they thought or wanted? So they left? Hmm. If that's true, then it is very true about our culture today. But that shouldn't hinder us from not taking your family Bible and whacking them with it, <laughs> but by the consistency of understanding where they are. Jesus understood where everybody was there. He knew what was in the heart of man. And he kept... He, he just kept narrowing down so that they could have clarity about who he was and why he came and what the implication that was for them. So, you know, I think uh, all these people are walking away and I get to thinking you kind of place yourself there. So you start out feeding 5,000 men and then all the women and children and a However many from that crowd, they're trying to follow him. They're trying, they're trying to find him. So at this point, who knows how many people are there? Well, a couple hundred people, hundreds of people, a couple thousand people. He says this and then just wholesale, a huge group just turns and walks away. And here you are, you're the 12. You're kind of experienced this whole thing. And basically what he's asking me is he's going, are you going to follow me? Or are you going to follow them? And I think for me, more than any other situation, more than any other story that's in the Gospels, before the resurrection, before the infilling of the Holy Spirit, this was the disciples' beginning departure from the influence of the crowd and all others. This right here. They chose Jesus. And what I love about this is, is what Peter said. Peter said, well, all right, well, where are we going to go? <laughs> I mean, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here, here's a few things, several things. So immediately, Peter and he's speaking for the crowd, and he, maybe he was a good spokesman for the crowd because he knew where, or the other disciples because he knew where they're at. And it was like, okay, so they had a clear perception of the alternatives before them, right? Because uh, he says, well, where are we going to go? Right? They have confidence in the character and nature of Jesus. All the things that they'd seen him do. All the compassion that he had on the people and all the crowds. All the holy indignation he had toward the religious leaders that were leading people the wrong way. They got to see into the heart of Jesus. So they embraced Jesus. So he goes, where are we going to go? We got to this place where we know you have the words of eternal life. We've been with you. We know you. We, yeah, we're not going anywhere. I, I love that. Okay, so the, a third one. When he said you have the words of eternal life, it's, 
you are what we have been looking for. And I love this because it says, they had come to believe. Think about this. So a lot had transpired, and Peter said, you know what? We have come to believe, and we have come to know that you are the Son of the living God. We've come to know that through relationship with you, through walking with you. Okay, here's something for us. You don't have that? How do you get that? How do you get to the place where you come to know and believe? Sitting on the outskirts? Tagging in once in a while? Yeah, that, that's not going to get you there. So they were, through, through the upset, I mean, big object lesson in the Old Testament, they didn't believe who God was, and God just long-suffering toward them getting to a place where they believe here in our life. There's just stuff that we have a hard time, we trip over, but what does God do? He's long-suffering to us in our believing. So that we can, I don't know about you, but it seems like at some of the most, some of the times when my heart was farthest from God, He snuck up and grabbed a hold of my life. Now, don't do that. I don't deserve that. I know. But I want you to know I love you, and I am here. I am who I said I was. The, those are the moments that have changed me. Oh, learning truth is wonderful. But the experience of coming to believe and to know, to know through experience, woo, that'll say, yeah, no. You do whatever you want. So the 12 are there, and all these people are dispersing. And Peter goes, yeah-uh. No, we've come to know and believe that you are the Son of the living God. We're going nowhere. Right? And then even after that, what did Peter do? He denied him three times. What did he do? He went a-fishing. Right? So look at, the, look at the goodness and the grace of God in all this. Even as Jesus is just narrowing this down, he knows that it's hard. And he gives, he gives his people some space. You, we just can't take truth, bam, and absorb it and understand it. It hits our life and we're human, so the Spirit of God just massages it into our life, so to speak. Reminds me of this. You know, so their understanding was challenged, but their heart wasn't. So Luke 2.19, remember Mary, uh, says, uh, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. When, remember, was she, had, she had given birth and the shepherds came and the whole deal. It said that, she didn't let go of any of that. While everyone else around, it says that, and those that were there were amazed. Not Mary. She wasn't amazed. She just kept collecting these things. She just kept putting these things together. She just kept connecting the dots. From the first angelic visit to the fulfillment of his words at Jesus' birth. 
Right? So while everybody else who didn't know Jesus turned away, the 12 had been all along putting things together. Maybe not understanding it fully, because Mary still didn't understand it fully. In other words, they didn't quit. Right? Even though it's tricky. Even though life hits them a curve. Let me just say, if you're here this morning, you didn't quit either. If you'd have quit, you wouldn't have been here. You'd just be somewhere else. And the reality for the disciples is they weren't following Jesus to make their worldly circumstances better. They were following him to find the eternal life he promised. And so, sometimes I ask myself, are we there yet? Yes and no. See, I've come to believe and to know. And I know there's just going to be stuff along my path ahead of me that's going to be tricky. But though I won't be able to grab it in my mind, my heart is already locked in. It is already steadfast. It is already anchored in Jesus. Father, thank you for your, your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, your long-suffering toward us, the, the graciousness that you have toward your children, the, the understand you're, you're knowing, we, you're knowing that we are human. We are but flesh. <laughs> and you just, you constantly move in our direction. We do stupid, and you give grace. Uh, that has always blown me away. And I don't do stupid because I know I'm getting grace. I am learning to be obedient and just walk in the grace that you've given. So thank you for that today. Minister that to our hearts in Jesus' name.